0: Alright everybody, welcome back to Blue Grit Radio, this is your host Eric and today I'm joined by a guest that uh, that we got connected through mutual uh, high caliber acquaintances, so the collective gentlemen, Sean and Chance, and uh, you you probably will have just seen their episode pop up uh, by the time you're listening to this one, so uh, without further ado, and so you don't have to sit in silence as I talk about you, Seb, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having me, man
0: yeah man it's uh it's been really cool to connect with you um i guess the the really short version is being involved with the collective being invited on to speak on their platform has been a really gratifying really challenging uh really exciting experience and they put me on the spot one time they're like hey man who who do you wanna talk on you know who do you wanna you know join next and then next time you're on here And I'd already heard you speak. I'd already seen some of the things that you're working on on your social platform. I was like, I want to talk to the Slavmander, right? And so, um, then lo and behold, they're like asking, you shall receive. And so I was able to, to meet you remotely, which is super cool. Um, so I really appreciate your, your mentorship, you know, remotely, your, your leadership for the industry and outside of the industry. And when I'm talking about industry, I'm talking about law enforcement, military, um, but yeah, man, so thank you so much for giving your time for me and my audience today.
1: Absolutely, man. And this was uh, fully reciprocal. I was already tracking, so.
0: Yeah, well, thanks, man. So, <laughs> um, you know, so much of me is is starting to learn about you. And then, you know, you, there's so many layers. And that's what we're talking about in the, the pre-recording is what you've been up to. You're working on your, you know, you're finishing up your master's maybe, maybe PhD thereafter, um, this is following for the, for the listeners that haven't followed along or maybe haven't connected or seen your social yet. Um, after a full law enforcement career, uh, promotion, you know, working with the RMCP, RCMP, excuse me. And then, uh, and then all the things that you're working on, right. You have your business, you, you appear to be a a poet, (laughs) you're a writer, right? Like, (laughs) um, remind me what that's called.
1: Um, I'm not sure which one are you referring to.
0: All right, let me pull it up in my notes. Um, yeah, the project, and it was called. Uh, oh, the Poetic, Poetic Savagery Project. Yeah, mm, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, the Poetic Savagery Project is a basically an audio video sort of all immersive experience into the world of somebody that has multi-dimensions, but all those dimensions directed towards work in law enforcement. So I, mm. I base this was it was meant to be an inspirational piece for current and active Leo, Leos and, and first responders to to just want to do and be better in, in all different aspects. So it's it's actually worked out really, really good. And it's it's worked out exactly as as it's intended to as an yeah. inspirational piece. And it's fun. Yeah.
0: That's very cool, and I, I love it because uh, I think that you know, looking at what you what you put out, there clearly is that that poetic dimension, and I mean that as an extreme compliment. Like I come from definitely a more creative background growing up. Um, I would very much consider myself an artist, and things that I really gravitated towards as a young man, and in my career, uh, law enforcement career, shifted away from that. Right, it's more towards the traditional. It's more regimented its systems, its protocols, and really falling in line so I could be successful. What I found is that in my maturing of my career and as an individual, uh, allowing myself to gravitate back towards those creative dimensions has really helped me skyrocket my potential and that of my team. Um, it was a recent uh, conversation on The Collective where Sean's talking about the 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 push pull and the, the balance between artistry and athleticism in whatever it is you do. And at first I was so caught off guard, but then as he continued to explain, you know, the artistry, the, the pivoting, the dance around what you're doing and how to, how to adapt. And then the athleticism being very much that too, right. Being on your, on the balls of your feet, being on your toes, um, really powering through just like an athlete trains, just like an athlete has to perform. I really love that. So uh, what does that? What does that strike within you when we we talk about those things for you?
1: Yeah, I call that intellectual athleticism. You mm-hmm. know, I just I just like I just like the term. The, the term is just sort of makes sense to me, and I and I can see how you know, essentially you're operating within the confines of a box, but you have creative ways of 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 moving and shaking the things within the confines of that box. So the you know, and it's really interesting because sometimes. We have the box and then within the box, we put another box in there and we're kind of, you know, we're really limiting ourselves. Whereas Mm -hmm. creativity has bearing in anything we do. And if you have it, you can you can start looking for innovative solutions to common problems. And in law enforcement, what do we always see? We see the same problems recurring over and over again and we see the same solutions applied against those problems. So what do we see? The definition of insanity. Mm -hmm. You know, doing the exact same thing, expecting a different outcome. So having, the, having that creative, you know, creative, creative juices flowing and having the ability to weaponize your creativity, man, good stuff. I love that.
0: Yeah, I've been, uh, I've been labeled a bit as being progressive in, in law enforcement, and that's okay. I mean, uh, you know, I think about the word progressive and what, where it derives from is progress, right? So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not saying that I have the, the solution. Uh, but I love the notion that there's a lot of leaders um, in and out of our industry that are saying, "Hey, we just have to ask why not and it doesn 't mean that this is the worst way it doesn 't mean that this is even a bad way, but how do we know it 's a good, great, best way unless we ask those questions unless we look across industries and say, "Hey, th- these guys over here, these guys and gals they 're doing this and it's really uh, it 's really advanced their goals. Uh, is there something that we can learn from and apply for our own?" own uh, team
1: yeah and it, it it really takes leaders that have sort of um you know ego free almost right like where where you, you have to be you have to be so confident in your in your <laughs> own abilities capacity and your own work to not worry about looking at somebody else as if they could potentially hear me out do it better you know mm-hmm. like you, you and it's just common sense that if you look at anything there is in life literally anything take jujitsu, take playing video games take there's always a million people that take it to a completely different level and right. so for you for you to even look at anything thinking that you are remotely close to what the top of the hill looks like you know, and, and unfortunately in policing, this is often what happens, you know, like we've done the same thing and there's there's um, something called, I don't know, cognitive bias, but there's outcome biases where, where because everything went well for, you know, 10 years, therefore you must have done everything right. Mm-hmm. And we know that that's not the case. You got lucky. Those are different, right? And so, and if you got lucky and you're not patternizing what it is that you are doing and how... How are you supposed to replicate it? And how are you supposed to make it better for the next generation or for the people that are currently working for you? And so you're, you're conflicted between wanting to support and completely resisting change, right? So you have to be somewhere in the middle and, and, and really have the ability to recognize your own biases and how to overcome them.
0: Yeah, that's huge. I mean, we can, we can take that notion. And we can apply it to so many industries, right? Um, you know, Cab drivers never thought that Uber would be a thing they, you know, when it started coming up, they probably, be like, this is a dumb idea, it's going to fizzle out. Uh, You know, same thing, Blockbuster, Netflix, you know, like all these quote unquote disruptors. And so sometimes I, I take a pause and I, I like to look at organizational leadership and organizational cultural discussions and articles and such, just to question again, hey, why are we doing what we're doing? Is there something to be learned from this lesson, um, learn from history, so you don't repeat it essentially. And what are our blind spots that I, I'm not even recognizing in having the conversation? You know, so we don't look back and we say, well, that was a huge blunder. We should have seen that coming. Like, where does this exist in law enforcement or in these more, uh, you know, government based institutions? Because it is harder to change a lot of these things uh, due to the fact that it's government, due to the fact that it's, it's bureaucratic by nature and by design.
1: Mm hmm. Yeah. I, you know, it, for me, it's really interesting as a leader. One of the things that I really focused on over the course of my career was always on my sphere of influence and, and, and yes, augmenting that sphere of influence is is part of that process but really i was investing everything i had in the things that i directly had control over because everybody's worried about controlling the external factors but what you soon realize is that they stop moving their own sphere of influence forward on account of well when it hits this you know level or when it hits the the chief or whatever it's going to get shut down or or x y and z is going to happen and in a lot of cases it has more to do with the the articulation of what it is that they're doing and so instead of focusing internally and say like look i'm going to work on me so that i'm able to present what it is that i'm bringing forward in a different way it's always well we, we we always try to make changes and it always hits a wall but there is never a i've never actually looked at within me how i proposing those changes how I bring them to bear how I have the conversations and so once you start optimizing your own performance in that sense where you're really introspective on how you are doing things you can start moving the needle and I think I think for you from what I'm seeing anyway and front from what I'm hearing from you that's precisely what you're doing people want to change things but they want to change things by going head-to-head and if you start going head to head with everybody you are going nowhere real quick mm-hmm. so so it's important to have the ability to not only want to be innovative and not only want to find be solution based when it comes to policing but you also have to have the tactful and the, the you know the um, sort of holistic approach to how you're going to approach this to make it work
0: yeah, and that's my, that's my driver. I think a lot of it comes out of just a desire for wanting things to be better. I want things to be better for me, for my team. I want things to be better for the public, which is really what the whole job is about. And so, you know, when I apply that, uh, you know, my early discussions on social and everything was just to be helpful. And a lot of that was just my own sharing of my mindset, my own sharing of my frustrations or trying to be vulnerable to help others do that. Uh, especially through the veins of wellness, which is, you know, a huge pillar for me in the career. I think it's, I believe, and know it's very much intertwined with our efficacy out there on the street. So if I can help cops and first responders be a bit more in tune with their own wellness, their own health, then of course they're going to show up better. They're going to show up better at work, better at home. And so then we already see how this is all intertwined. Right. And then because I am a law enforcement officer, And I care very much about the industry and I care very much about what goes on in the community. Um, You know, that's going to continue on whether I'm not a cop, you know, um, whether I am or am am not a cop in 5, 10, 20, 30, 40 years, right? So, so I am invested and I think that we just need to remember that there is that investment. So let's look at it holistically, as you've, have you pointed out a couple of times, because everything's connected um, within our lives and within our group, within our community.
1: Yeah. I I couldn't agree more. I mean, and 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 nurturing the connection and and uh, sort of researching different ways and different lenses to view the world through. And I mean, I know for me I've been retired for 2 years now and when I say retired, I mean that uh, you know not quite literally, uh you're, but uh, uh, you're quite busy. Yeah, we'll talk about that shortly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when I mo- when I moved on from policing, though, um you know, I I realized in starting, you know, when I started my master's degree, for example, that I, even though I had a, a very extensive operational background, I was viewing life through the same lens. And I learned to see, you know, even though I was already multidimensional, I was, I, a part of me was stuck in that looking at lens through the, the, the lenses of a cop and mm. no, not ever creating alternative angles. And, and alternative viewpoints to, to look at life through and and having these conversations with really smart intellectuals and, and academics and people that are looking at life through different lenses really rounded me out. I was able to, you know, look at some of the things that potentially didn't help me during my career or perhaps even impeded me during my career. And I'm not talking about in terms of career advancement, but I'm talking about in, in terms of achieving certain outcomes because I did have this sort of, you know, very narrow field of vision, so to speak. So it's really interesting when you start dabbling around and start changing the lens on those frames of yours, you know, life sort of opens up a whole bunch of possibilities, right?
0: Yeah. And it makes sense. You know, I I had a discussion not, not long ago around the same vein with someone and it's there's a reason why we think like a police officer there's a reason why we think in these similar veins and a lot of it is truly for survival a lot of it is because it's effective in a lot of the things we do um but one one application is you know you treat an unknown threat you treat you know a group of subjects a certain way on the street and i'm not saying be rude or be aggressive you know it's but you are, you're on high alert you don't you should not be trustful of the situation you should be polite courteous professional but ready for what's going to happen, right? But if you bring that energy, if you bring that mindset and that perspective into your relationships with your best friends, with your home life, it is not going to be successful. Um, You see that a lot, right? So that's not to disparage us, but it's to understand and explain why these things happen. And so I love that you already, you recognized how, how quickly um, that had permeated so many ways that you looked at the world and It sounds like what helped you out of that was surrounding yourself with just other people from other walks, right? Like in uh, in your studies, in your postgraduate studies.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That was a big piece of it. The other piece is it's an international degree. So I was not only exposed to people with different way of thinking, but I was Mm -hmm. also exposed to people to which, you know, living life is a completely different endeavor in all these various regions of the world and you know not to be ethnocentric but despite all that we have going on here a lot of those countries are having struggles that we'll never know anything about and i think um, that was a big piece also and just to kind of speak to what you were just talking about you know i i love that segue you made there risk assessing through essentially physical harm is what we're risk assessing life through and the problem with that is that not when something is not a matter of physical harm or organizational r- risk or investigational risk, the stakes are not nearly as catastrophic. And you can, you can play with that. But we, as law enforcement officers, often will assess risk through the lens of a cop. And that can pro- create a ton of problems. Yes, in personal relationship, but it can do so in business as well. Because you mm-hmm. can be the biggest disabler the world has ever seen because that's never going to work because of X that's never going to work because of, you know, and you, and you start, you start going down that that path, you know, and I had a, had a friend by the name of Jay Park, very, very successful businessman. And he's like, D- you, you, what happens if you fail, you know, in business, nothing, you know, and, and even if you have a lot of money invested at the end of the day, it's money, right? It's, it's not somebody losing their lives or, or anything like that. And so for him, it was always about, man, I'm, as as much of an enabler as I was in a policing context, I was a disabler in business mm. on account of the way by which I view life. I viewed life, but also on account of the way I risk assessed. You know the steps that I took.
0: Yeah, and that's such a critical uh, self reflection, right? Because uh, you know that's gonna that's gonna be directly intertwined with your success in whatever venture that is. Um, and there might be a place for it, right? But um, but I could definitely see how that would be. I mean, maybe that's, maybe it's very important to find what your role is in that business, right? Maybe you're not going to be the, the, the one just driving the, the passion, right? Maybe you're not the one just try that can really conceptualize the importance of how quickly you need to grow because you might in the back of your mind be like, Hey, we're, we're not like, you know, we're not ending wars here. We're not, doing X, Y, Z, but, but it is important. And I think that sometimes we get too, too narrow in our focus because we don't see the, how the little wins, how the little, all, everything else just helps society chug along.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We're, we're, we're missing the bigger picture. You know, we're, we're not, we don't have enough detachment. We don't have enough bird's eye view, so to speak. And, 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 and it, you know, again, really narrows down our field of view, and, and with that comes, you know, everything else that's associated with that, which is essentially reducing the field of view as everybody else. Because especially if you're an inspirational leader in a leadership position where people are sort of looking up to you and, and, follow, and following you and, and working with you, you know, the way, the way you process information and the way you deal with life is going to tell them more about how they should be doing business. Yeah. And so, so it does have, a, a, you know, a cost, so to speak.
0: Yeah, for sure. Well we're gonna go a little out of order as we already have. Why not? But mm-hmm. um you know, we talk about how busy you are, you've been, uh clearly you're in your studies, which is uh which is no joke, uh, getting a master's and what are you getting your degree in?
1: International security, global counterterrorism.
0: Okay. So that is a, that is saving lives.
1: <laughs> is well, it court. has a, it, it has the potential to how about that.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So you got that. You're popping up on the collective. You, mm-hmm. you write. You post. You have your own brand. You have your own company consulting. Um, can you tell me a little bit about, about that?
1: Yeah. Mostly right now, we've sort of refocused on a, a lot of the performance coaching piece. Uh, Sean Taylor and I specifically uh, aimed at the executive level people, you know, mm-hmm. like the, the people that are already extremely successful, but wanted to take that. And just have that 1%, that 2%, that 3% better. And and Sean and I have refocused a lot of our energy on the executive coaching side. Uh, but I do you know, security consulting overseas in dangerous areas. I do close protection. I do public speaking courses. I do like there's a million different things. The introspective leader course. So I run a lot of training and there's various people engaged. Uh, along the way as well all tier one personnel and all either from the military the law enforcement world and we really take you know the best of the best to 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 sort of frame our 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 coaching and 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 Sean Taylor is a big piece of that as you know
0: yeah and uh I I get this it's very um you know for a lot of my my listeners it's probably conceptualizing like oh it kind of sounds like you know, what Jocko, Jocko and company might be doing, right? Like, it's just, you have these tried and shrewd, like literal battlefield experiences, critical leadership, and then you can apply it to, you know, other professionals in the industry or military, but also, you know, clearly a lot of people get a lot out of that, right? Not everyone that listens to the Jocko podcast is a military personnel. Um, a lot of people see the lessons of that and uh, and get the benefit from those.
1: For sure. And I would say that if I was to compare the way we kinda coach, is it just slightly different? So so Echelon Front does it in a way where, you know, they send their evaluators and they kind of look at the overall picture, they paint the picture of it, and then they sort of respond accordingly with leadership principles, those types of things, which are really foundational or fundamental to their whole sort of system. For us, it's a bit more individualized in that we are looking at mindset because we understand that regardless of what you're coaching, if the person doesn't look at it with the right lens, they're not taking out of it what they should. So if, if you were to take, and this is obviously no, no knock on Jocko and Echelon front, cause I have nothing but the utmost respect for these guys. But if I was to say, take a perfect leadership blueprint and say, okay, Eric, here's how you lead and, and, and your mindset is not in, you know, in an introspective state and you are not paying attention and mm-hmm. self being self-aware and self-regulate those types of things, anything that you read or sort of use within the context of within an operational context is going to be skewed by the vision by by the fact that you have underlying issues that are unaddressed
0: absolutely So
1: yeah. we're, we're less concerned about each individual pieces we're more concerned about changing you at the core so that mm-hmm. whatever happens after including learning leadership including learning the way to do things is is dramatically improved yeah no, so it's huge. a little bit different yeah
0: yeah no i love that um and i and i bring up jocko because he's it's such a big presence but at the same time i knowing you and observing and having listened to hours of jocko you know through the years um i got really big into his podcast years ago um but then you know you you hear where where he's coming from and i think that uh, for me and again no knock on jocko a very impressive uh, individual um But after a while, a lot of the podcasts were very similar for me. Right. And so for me, it's a lot about, okay, cool. It's like, I read that book. I don't need to keep reading that book over and over. However, like revisiting that book in a couple of years could be very helpful. So like, literally at this point in time, I like redownloaded a couple episodes of Jocko and I really enjoyed it. Um, But, uh, you know, same thing like Rogan, like I have kind of, you know, I used to be diehard about Rogan every episode. And then, you know, I haven't listened to him in, in a couple of years, you know, but it, again, it's, it's just trying to expose to new ideas and new perspectives, new style. Um, but before I keep rambling, I, I'd love what you said and the application for me, at least for, I think for a lot of the, the people that might be listening to this is, you know, we're going to go to a lot of trainings. Um, your department's going to put you through a lot of trainings and I definitely can reflect on myself and depending on my mindset or my mood, Uh, my attitude, uh, maybe it was that day, maybe it was in those months, right? Was I more cynical towards the job? Was I more cynical towards the the leadership that set this training up? Or was I just more cynical of the message or how they presented? Or was I more open minded? And so, you know, one was a a non law enforcement specific training. um, And it was based on emotional intelligence, EQ, right? I think that if we're, if we take our egos off, we're like, okay, this is critically important, right? Like, EQ is literally how you connect with other people. Do we want the best um, avenues to do that within our team, out in the public? Absolutely. But when you tell everyone that it's mandatory, you need to sign up, or you're, you know, you're going to be facing dis- discipline, and you hear about how some people you know, kind of put their arms up, and, and then there's all this buzz about who walked out of the training. Well, of course, like, that's going to be a defensive posture. You're not going to get anything from it. Um, if you assume that people are talking to you like you're an idiot and you don't know anything about this, then you might be really defensive. You not, might not get much from it. But if you recognize, hey, this is an important topic, and now we have this expert coming in, there's got to be something. Uh, there's got to be a couple nuggets I get out of this four hours, or else I'm going to sit here and it's going to be a waste. I think uh, it's that you know it's that fix versus growth mindset. It's just how do you want to receive? How do you want to show up? So I can I can feel that in myself and those that have been around me. So I think that's important to recognize. You know, there's it takes two to tango. And so do you wanna learn or do you want to waste your time?
1: Yeah, absolutely, man. And you can have the the perfect circumstances in front of you. Maybe the leadership has communicated effectively what the benefits are going to be for you. Maybe that guest speakers you're you're really interested in. But if you don't if you don't optimize your own ability to reflect and to be self-aware and self-regulate as you are engaging in the process, you may find yourself, you know, Thinking about the dishwasher, doing, you know, whatever the case may be. And so now the concept that we bring back to bear is essentially focus is a choice. Mm -hmm. That don't act like focus is in a choice and don't give me the old, you know, well, I can only focus for so long. No, no, no. You only want to focus for so long. It's not that you can't, Mm
0: -hmm. you know,
1: there's a saying that says, sometimes you don't know how strong you are until being strong is the only, the only choice you have, but it's exactly the same with this. You don't know how long you can focus until you do a job that's catastrophic enough that if your focus sway, people are, you know, losing their lives. And and if you've had the, the sort of the honor of doing that in an operational setting, it never leaves you. But all of those lessons are metaphorically applicable through the entire spectrum of, of activities that we engage in as COPs. And everybody's worried about is, is the speaker good and does he know his stuff and where is he from? What if he was the worst speaker in the world, but he comes in and you focus so much on being that receptor that you catch one golden piece of information in there
0: mm-hmm. because
1: you will that's you know you can talk to anybody and and learn something from anybody and so it's really a change in attitude that's needed in in policing in my opinion and uh and there's you know there's a lot of reasons why why this is happening i mean really i mean we could you know go down the 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 rabbit hole of thinking about who are the types of people that get hired as police officers and why do they want to be police officers and what is the you know what is the purpose behind it and what was the so and there's a lot of there's a lot of um there's a lot of um Hmm, sort of underlying issues I should say you know and that's no different than people wanting to be MMA fighters you know my mom used to say to me if you didn't like violence to the point you say you didn't like violence you'd be a monk not a cop you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> and she was a psychologist so I I kind of take that into <laughs> you know oh, into account but yeah
0: yeah that's that's huge and I think about um, you know when when it's your own outlook Sorry, your outlook when it's your own attitude, think about what what benefits could come right? Maybe not even where does this benefit me, 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 me? What can I learn? But hey, I'm in this classroom or I'm in this auditorium for the next x hours. What benefits could come from this? And it could be literally taking notes on how the speaker was not that great and you could reflect on the next time you speak, what do you do, man? She's saying I'm um, a lot. I say "um" am a lot. Okay, there's an op- area of opportunity for me. It could also be leadership, right? You don't want to be there, but there's a lot of people that look up to you and you want them to absorb the information. Even if you are a little bit on your high horse, you're like, I'm not going to learn anything today. But these people to the left and right of me need to pay attention. I'm going to show up as a professional. I'm going to have a smile on my face. I'm going to participate. Right? I'm going to be vulnerable in these little exercises because I think it will be helpful At the same time, uh, there's this application I have sometimes where I act differently because I'm a cop and I act differently because people know I'm a cop. And it is a little bit of that uh, role model ship, right? If I'm in uniform and I'm going through the grocery store, of course, I'm looking around at people. I'm trying to be aware of my surroundings, even if it's just to get a snack. Uh, But (laughs) I do see people when they make eye contact, I try to smile. And that's because I know that the likelihood of People forming an opinion uh, negative about the police is going to be a little better if I smile. Uh, I'm not going to do that if I'm not in uniform, right? I might, I might make you know make eye contact with someone and give them a little courteous nod or a little like kind of smirk, but I'm not, just not that kind of person. Uh, I'm going to be more likely to go in, get out, do my thing. Uh, but I know that I'm, I'm an example. I'm a representative, and so I'm going to show up. And so I think that there there is a translation for that when we think about what we're burdened with and what we have to do.
1: Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. I really like the piece that you you speak about um, earlier about how you address the course. And one of the the things I'd like to go back onto is when you said, you know, maybe I won't be learning something today. Well, if if the day starts like this, it's an absolute that you will not be learning. Mm-hmm. Anything. You know, the concept of manifestation is not is not a psychological wazoo concept. It's it's a neuroscientific you know process, and and it's lining up your thoughts with your actions, and 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 opens up your mind in a way that you are now more receptive to certain things that you hear more that you connect better like all of those things and so having that sort of you know positive attitude when you start and I'm not talking about toxic positivity here I'm talking about you know I will learn something from that speaker regardless how good that speaker is because learning something out of that person is up to me not up to them to teach me right it's just retaking control over the process so i really like that but yeah you're you're absolutely correct with you know it's just um, it's just a very different, very special and specific industry, and we need to have we need to have some protective mechanisms in place. And there is people willfully wanting to hurt us, and as a result of that, it's difficult to not carry that on your face. It's also difficult to not carry the defund the police actions. It's also you know to not carry the internal complaints and you know everything else that we consistently deal with, but. Every chance you have at representing your uniform, your organization, and your peers in a positive light is, is a gift to the community, to your community. And I, I, I took, you know, time of my day, all time I didn't have often out of my day to make that happen just to ensure that that was, you know, going the extra mile. And if I was involved operationally, I would make sure that by the time I left, there was a bow wrapped around that scene. Like I wasn't, Mm. you know, just, okay, see you, see you later. We just broke everything. See you later, you know, kind of thing. It was, it was, it went far beyond that. What else can I bring? What, what other value can I bring to this, to this operation, to this sort of synergical relationship, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I love that. uh, There's a piece for sure. I mean, I love that whole exchange, but there's a piece I want to focus back in on for the listeners. And it's that it, it's the understanding and the empathy with the officer that's doing the day to day that you and I aren't doing, um, but you were there and I was there. Uh, but it's it's understanding that you're going to wear that on your face when you know for a fact that people out there are very wanting and willing to hurt you and your peers and your friends and your brothers and sisters. Uh, so when you when you meet an un, an unknown, you don't know what their intent is, and even if especially if you're dispatched to that location and they're one of the people involved. You don't know what's going on. They're they're making eyes at you. You don't know whether they're going to provoke you, you don't know whether they're going to assault you. It is hard not to furrow your brow and start to, you know, tuck your chin and do all these things that are not inviting, you know, mannerisms. Like when I see a a, a long-term friend, I throw my head back, right? And I open my arms out of my chest, right? It's not a defensive posture like a, you know, my fists are coming up to to get by my jaw, but it, so it's I think that there are those uh you know there's the neuropsychological connection tried right? to talk about what you were talking about earlier, but yeah it is it is imprinting on your brain and your survival instinct that hey this is not this is not a safe situation until you know it is, and generally if you're in uniform and out in the field, you never know it is it never really truly is um so yeah, I just wanna kind of harken back to that because I think it is. I, I can anticipate how it could be regarded a certain way from officers that are in the day-to-day doing 10, 12, 14 hours a, a, uh, a day. And they're like, well, it's easy for you to say, Eric, like you're you know, you're recruiting and you're doing this and you're doing that. Uh, you're not going to call to call to call. And I mean, I'm not saying it's not understandable, but it's very critical that you're aware of that, right, when you interact with people.
1: Yeah, I mean, for me, and again, this feeds right into something that's a massive pep of mine, which is victim mentality. Mm-hmm. And That kind of inject of, oh, Eric, you, you're X, Y, and Z. It's like, hey, dude, I was doing that, you know, 20 years before you were, like, I, I've been there, we've been there, you've been there, we've, we've all been there. So w- we can all look at our circumstances and think that we have the hardest job in the world. The reality is, if I change your environment right now and I bring you somewhere where you're like a you sort of knowledge skills and abilities are exposed you're going to find that you're going to have a lot harder time doing other jobs and so mm-hmm. it's it, I think it's it's really easy to think and 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 the propensity is to think that policing is all about patrol for example right and it is the angular stone of policing there's no question that that's the case and you have to be comfortable and good at that before you can move on to anything else in mm-hmm. my opinion of course it doesn't always reflects in reality but uh, but what's important to realize is that there's also a propensity for people on the road to think that they have the worst job the world has ever seen that's them not knowing that when you sit when you sit to write an information to obtain on a warrant, and you have to write a three hundred and ninety-six page information to obtain, so that you can get a freaking, you know, judicial authorization yeah, to do yeah. anything, uh, we'll talk, right? Like, or or if you're if you're if you're in the eye on a surveillance shift in freaking minus forty somewhere, you know, so there's 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 always there's always something else, and the fact that the jobs are different doesn't negate the fact that there are difficulties in all of those jobs. And it's important to recognize that because otherwise we'll turn ourselves into victims. So it's important to look at, in order to, to, to not do that, it's important to have a healthy perspective on the reality of things. And until you've been exposed to various sections, until you've worked in other areas, you may or may not know that. But if you know that to be the case, you can, have the, you can ask the questions, you can be sort of more uh, exploratory in your, in your approach, right? Instead of just cynical, Right
0: absolutely yeah the relationships are so critical right so if you're a if you're a patrol dog and you've been in it 10 12 years and you have a friend in detectives right you could very well better empathize the fact that hey i got my struggles you got yours but i would not change seats with you and there are a lot of people that are very wise to that right they either had a little bit of uh, interaction or they they just take the time to learn uh, or shadow or uh, interact and see Hey, I don't want that to be my day to day. I have a little taste of that here and there when I have to write a warrant and good on you. Like you're doing all that. You're getting called in. I'm not getting called in. I do my time. I go home. I decompress. Um, There is very much that. So I think when we stop, and again, it is that, uh, you know, it's that that victim mentality where you're so focused on you, 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 what's, what's burdening you, uh, how unfair things are. It's like, no, like, let's just get better. Let's network. Let's, uh, let's, let's elevate each other. Let's collaborate And I think for me, uh, one thing I think about that that's helpful, especially in this moment is getting off of the road was very helpful for my development, right? When I was in patrol, uh, you know, there was, there's so many times where I was so target focused and it is a thing that I do anyway, but whatever my seat is, but I get so target focused and I focus on all, all the things that patrol needs and all the things that we need and why this, why that, but to get removed outside of that to support side to neighborhood engagement, which was a longer term problem solving thing for a little bit. And then hiring recruiting, you see the big picture just because you're able to change seats a little bit. And I think that the same thing happened for you. It sounds like when you were, you know, you're in grad school, uh, you know, it, it exposes you to all these new ideas and perspectives. So that's critical. Uh, But for me, uh, a lot of, you know, I could think about my haters and my, you know, my, the naysayers, and sure, they're going to say that I'm preaching and this and that, but really it comes back to a notion that resonates with me that I heard relatively recently, which is that we are here to help our prior selves in the service we do and in the mentorship we do. So, just about everything I say, I say it with the context of recognizing that this is what I would have loved to have he- heard when I was in my 20s. This is exactly the type of uh, message that would have been really beneficial when. I was, you know, overworked or when I was not sleeping and I was just trying to grind harder and harder but not seeing the whole picture. And I was becoming really cynical towards the public or XYZ, right? Fill in the blank. And so just to recognize that a lot of these lessons, a lot of these a lot of these topics are because I learned that and I needed to learn that. And uh if I could save someone having to learn it the hard way, then I absolutely will. And so that's why I appreciate exactly what you're doing, right? You're um you had your law enforcement career, and there's so many lessons learned from that. As you continue to build business and your education, and your fostering growth through the collective and so many other means.
1: Yeah, man i i we're right in line on that, you know. And for me, I would say even before going to the academic system, um, I, you know, I, I spent 16 years in the tactical space, and all of a sudden, I find myself. At the commanding officer's office overseeing eighty two hundred members you know all of a sudden i went from a team of 24 tight-knit cohesive unit with selected individuals doing things full-time you know in a in a in a sort of elevated elevated tempo and uh and i find myself now having a, a bird's eye view on all the organizational problems and all the the, the problems encountered by other units and i realize, holy wait a minute, you know, the things that we were complaining about were infinitesimal compared to some of the problems that are occurring in other units, in other sections, in places where leadership is not nearly as valued and, 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 and just where money isn't and those types of things. So it really took me from the ground where all I could see was my shoes and whatever my eyesight will allow me to my field of vision will allow me to and get onto a, a freaking you know plane and go and go up in the air and and have that really really fulsome bird's eye view so I think you know, there, there would be benefit in doing this even in the leadership context in terms of having, say, taking your sergeants over to the white shirts office and, and have the conversation, have them into critical meetings, have them into, you know, and so that way you can have the bridge the gap approach where you have. Instead of having such a disparity between your leadership and your rank and file, you you have a common link there. And that's kind of what my job was as a sergeant major was to be that link, you know, represent sort of the commanding officer with the troops and represent the troops and, the, and their interests with the commanding officer. But also knowing when it's time to say. Look, guys, like here's the bigger picture that you're not getting. And here's other factors that have to be considered in order for us to, you know, say yay or nay to a certain demand or to action certain things. Mm -hmm. And so I think there's a lot of that that's missing. And the problem with cops is because there's professionally induced cynicism that turns to nihilism sometimes, you know, in in a very destructive way. There is a propensity to jump on that cynical response as soon as something is misunderstood or or simply unknown so if it's unknown or or misunderstood it's automatically against me instead of what you know let's let's try to get let's try to fact find here and have some you know how i feel is completely irrelevant how i feel doesn't matter what is the reality you know like so i'm always trying to sort of balance that that piece hmm so
0: much there there's literally the way i wanted to go next was you know translating leadership rather than just hey it, it is this like where do you create that bridge and it, it is really through empathy and what i hear is you talking about how it takes going to the troops right and to relay that take the time have the intent um this is literally a battle i felt through a lot of my leadership development if you want to call it that right being a young sergeant uh, you know, five and a half or so years ago, the first line supervisor, right? It's it's a critical role in any organization, uh, making sure that all the, the intent gets passed back and forth. But also the, you know, I say back, but I also say forth, right? You need to bring back that, that boots on the ground information. They're closest to the problem. They have this critical info and you need to bring it back up, right? So it's being a diplomat, right? It's being tactful. The things that you talked about earlier, where I feel like that's where, um, you know, my perception is that I was pretty good at that, right? I didn't have a, I didn't have a huge agenda, but really I just wanted everyone to go along and it's still something that I want. Uh, at the same time, a few years into being a Sergeant, I felt that looking back, it's easier to see. I became really, really about the guys, right? My, and that is a critical priority, right? You take care of your guys and what they need so they can take care of the mission. However, because of silos, because of lack of, uh, communication, intentful communication I started to form narratives and be a part of narratives like oh admin doesn't care oh they don't they're not listening and then it took a little bit where I, I recognized I was stewing and so I went to admin right like like this 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 machine admin right no I went to these these leaders that were very you know I had been very close with through the years but then uh you know it was really just saying hey this is this is a concern this is how it feels but then when you go you know, when you go to talk to someone, and you have that interaction, then you realize that they aren't, they aren't this faceless, nameless, emotionless uh, entity, you know, they're a person, they're trying to do the best they can. And so literally, I feel myself coming back down from the mountain saying, guys, we just need to (laughs) just go talk to people if you have this issue, right, Or you perceive this thing, or maybe they don't know, or maybe they're, we're just not hearing and feeling that, that they are considering this, they just, they have all these different priorities. And I've liked to say this for a while. They have a literal different job. Their job is not yours, your job is not theirs. And it takes all these jobs to to make an effective organization. Uh so let's not start pointing fingers again, right? It's again it goes from patrol to the investigator, right? Let's not point fingers on who has it better and you, you know, you have your ivory tower or whatever. We say this all jokingly, but then quickly it bleeds into this actual resentment at times. Especially when people don't get it, they don't have the connection. They don't have those relationships or they let them deteriorate over time and then they don't understand the difference in mission, Uh, but how they, each person's individual role in mission is part of the greater one.
1: Yeah, man, the best way to affect the change that you want to see is to be the change that you want to see. And it's, it's, you know, if you're, if, if your role in this organization or in any organization is cynicism based. Um, you know i'm i'm on the wrong end of everything like y- you are guaranteed to never contribute anything of importance to the collective and so you may be contributing to your own you know experience and i would say that if that's the case it will be a temporary state of affair because one day somebody will see right through all of this and you're not going to you know continue to to climb so to speak and i've seen it with 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 leaders even that get promoted really really quickly on account of driving a bunch of people over and one day they hit the, the walls of all walls and never go again anywhere and fizzle out to nothing so it's really important to to sort of curb that cynic, cynicism approach you know based approach to 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 processing the world when you're when you're in policing now another another piece of this is nobody's holding you in there at gunpoint Nobody Mm -hmm. is at all. And so if you don't like your circumstances to the point where you feel that you're being wronged by your organization and everybody else has it better than you, then change. Because if that's the case, but I'm going to go, I'm going to surmise that once you start looking around and once you start truly fact finding, regardless of how you feel, you're going to, you're going to realize that you don't have it worse than anybody else. You guys are all sort of in the same. And once you start realizing that, you know, your, your, your cynicism sort of lessens and you can start, you can start looking at things and critically analyzing things instead of instead of just jumping on bandwagons. And this was always a, a big pet peeve of mine as well in the leadership position is when you start seeing your leaders jumping on the bandwagon, on the burning bandwagons of the rank and files, you know, because everything is so catastrophic and everything is so, and so now the leaders are jumping on and now everybody's going the same direction, but the direction is wrong. You know, it, it's almost like as a leader and as leaders coming through the ranks. And when I say leaders, I don't mean rank leaders. I mean, we're all leaders, we're community leaders, we're leaders, we're, 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 we're entrusted to lead, you know, problem solving mechanisms. And ultimately we, we just, the lack of leadership isn't a prospect that should be acceptable for any cops. Like we need to have the ability to lead. And so having the ability to be, to have that sort of semi-sanitized view of, of, of the things that we do and engage in without necessarily getting sucked in the old emotional vortex and going down that rabbit hole where you're completely counterproductive and all you've done is bitch for the last 10 years. But realizing that the door is right here and you could have walked out of it, you could have, you know, taken an opportunity somewhere else. Well, this didn't work on account of this, this and this. Okay, so this wasn't a priority. So you had to reprioritize. So, you know, so it's, it's, again, it's, it's taking all of these external factors that are making your life seemingly miserable on, Mm -hmm. as far as you are concerned and taking ownership over the actual process, what it is that forced you in that position, what it is that's keeping you in that position and what it is that prevents you from going somewhere else. And if the answer is you're, you know, you have all these excuses as to why none of it is happening or whatever, then, then you need to reprioritize and you need to look at what it is that you want to prioritize in the, in the context of not only your, your career, but life as well. And wellness obviously should be a, a big piece of that. And if you don't prepare for wellness, you better be prepared for illness as they say, right?
0: Yeah, that's, that's huge. We have to be so, we need to be aware of our ego. We need to be aware of our narratives and then our inputs, right? Right. Let's say that you you do that reflection, you're like, "Oh man, I am in a bad place, I'm in a negative spiral there aren't uh there isn't a better place for me to go, and I do want to do this job you know i'm not I don't want to be a victim okay, cool you, you rec you start to recognize that now what And for me, it would be focusing on your inputs, right? So what are those inputs, and they are things like wellness right that's the the low hanging fruit that you have full autonomy and ownership over, whether you wake up and you take a brisk walk around in the morning as you sip your coffee or you do no activity, that's your choice, right? Whether you eat, you know, some chicken, breast and rice, or you eat three burgers and fries over the course of the day, like that's your choice. And right. So we, we had to recognize there are reasons why something is easier or harder, but it's our choice. And then what are we listening to? Right. Or what are, is it our negative, you know, patrol partners or, or do we try to hang out with that, that new guy? Cause he's pretty upbeat and, you know, he wants to do good things in this work. And well, heck i I'm not that uh, idealistic anymore, but I can sure help him feel better and safer about how he does his job. And that's going to rub off on you, right? So we can start to choose, you know, our social media, our news, whether we listen to it or not, what we listen to, listen to the collective. Uh, That's my little plug. So uh, yeah, these positive inputs, right? Take you out of that, uh, that echo chamber that can be so negative at times.
1: Yeah, man, and very, very few places in the workplace are can be as caustic as policing, and this is on account of take all of the human experience and intensify it, because that's essentially what happens mm-hmm. in policing in military context, especially in operational deployments. You know, in garrison, not so much, but if you start, you know, looking at war deployment, or you start looking at being on the streets doing the job, um, that's. That's happening. That's a fact. So we need to recognize that as well. So we can stay, we can keep in check slightly better. And it's important to recognize it in others. And I really like, you know, obviously Musashi, uh, once you Mm -hmm. see the way, the way broadly, you see it in all things. And I'm starting to see, you know, looking back now i'm starting to see so many of the caustic and dangerous behaviors that we had as a as individuals within the context of the organization and that doesn't take me out of it like i've done my fair share of negative you know inputting me in, in yeah. the organization until until you know until the years where i was forced to 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 grow out of that so to speak but when i look back and when i listen to some people it's clear and evident that it's it's alive and well you know, in the, in the policing world. And it, uh, I think having these types of conversations hopefully is going to help. And sometimes when you listen to certain things or certain people speak about certain things, you may have an emotional reaction, you know, an unfavorable reaction to what you're hearing. And when that happens, I, 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 proposed to you that there's probably something there that you should be paying attention to there's a reason why you're negatively responding or you feel negative emotions in relation to something that was said say in a conversation between eric and i or you know this next person and it's important that if it elicits a a sort of a, a response from you negative or otherwise that you look into what is happening here right instead of well he doesn't know what he's talking about well wait a minute Let's have let's let's critically analyze this, you know. Yeah, but it's it's tough, man. It's constant. It's constant work, you know. Like we have to be physically, mentally, emotionally. We, everything has to be dialed in because everything is interconnected. None of those systems are no, are independent from each other, you know. So if you're having an issue with occupational stress injuries, or if you're having a tr- uh, you know expose uh, trauma exposure, like you know repeated trauma exposure, which is mm-hmm. obviously a big problem in policing. Mm-hmm but you're say out of shape or you're not eating properly and you're not sleeping properly those things are compounding every issue you may you may encounter within the context of your career so you need to have that sort of multifaceted approach to being the person that you need to be hence why that poetic savagery project was so powerful because it really sort of laid down you know the the landscape of what that sort of looks like
0: yeah absolutely Man, we've we've di- we've dove in in all these uh, intricacies, which I love, and I'm I'm glad the listeners have now exposure to you, and um, certainly we'll we'll end it with where they can find you. But I'd be remiss if I didn't ask a little bit about your origin story, uh, which is what I don't know about you. You know, I know I know a bit about how you think, and I know the content that you put out, um, and I know I I would never claim to know how your brain works, right? I know what I what I hear. <laughs> and uh how how it helps me elevate my game but but where did this all start sub you know was uh, as far as getting into law enforcement and your upbringing and your you know your background growing up uh you know walk me through a little bit of that
1: Mm -hmm. how much time you got i got got time (laughs) so you know very humble beginnings uh single mom 15 years old young mom and uh by the time you know, I essentially lived with mum on my own for you know the better part of my first decade plus, and I eventually would have two sisters. Uh, but this, my sisters would eventually live with their dad, which was sort of a separated operation. I never really had a dad in the picture whatsoever, as far as uh, as far as I was concerned. My sisters have share a dad, and uh, you know, mom was. As, as you would expect from a 15-year-old mom going into, you know, the first five or six or seven years of her life, there is a lot of adversity. And some of it, you know, um, she, she sort of was responsible for, right? Obviously, as a, as a youth that's negotiating having a baby in the 70s and uh, interracial babies, you know, to to boot you know at Mm -hmm. the time um and so there was a lot of adversity there but eventually what would happen and and one of the important pieces here without getting into too much details is that she always the one thing i got so i never had toys i never had clothes you know nice clothes or whatever i because we didn't have the financial ability to do that but one gift that she did give me is she truly believed that speaking to me like an adult would would and, and having long, extended conversations about absolutely everything would help me in life. And she made sure that we did that. And sometimes she would be working, you know, 16, 17 hours coming home, coming straight into my room, waking me up so we could have a 45-minute conversation, even though I had school the next morning, you know. And eventually, as she matured and became, you know, much older and wiser, she uh, ended up becoming a... a a therapist a, a psychologist therapist clinical therapist and uh and and i was exposed to you know the way sort of the brain works through her through you know a a, a bit of a s- osmosis so to speak you know because mm-hmm. we we're having so many in-depth conversations already at a young age and now she yeah. brings all this sort of technical knowledge to the equation so i was able to to sort of have a a lens that's favorable to understanding those mechanisms, right? So, I just very intuitive, good emotional intelligence, and 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 mom doing that was was good enough for me. And eventually, this is during the biker war between the Rock Machine, the Hell's Angels, and Quebec. And for those of you who don't know, the, the the Quebec chapters of the Hell's Angels back in the days was the most dangerous chapter in the world, bar none. And that's coming straight from Sony Barger. You know, it, it was it was attempt, you know, murder in club lineups with rocket launchers and, you know, IEDs and vehicle borne IEDs and all this stuff. It was a crazy time. And uh, I remember one time I was coming back from a school trip and I was with mom and we saw a bunch of dudes with balaclavas and they had all these bikers on the ground, you know cuffed behind their backs and they were sort of guarding them. And I asked mom, I said, who are these guys? And she's like, well, those are the guys that aren't scared. So I said, well, I'd love to be one of them. And she's Mm -hmm. like, well, start working, you know, kind of thing. And she just let me have it right there. So right then and there at about nine or 10 years old, even though I was already sort of predisposed to that kind of work just on account of the games I was playing or everything I was doing was always either special forces or, or police related. And then eventually after that cataclyst, I, I would eventually, you know, decide that this was the path that I was wanting to follow. And so I joined the military when I was 18. And of course, at the time for us Canadian forces, that's pre 9 right? There was nothing there really to do. It was very, very, it was a very sort of uh, low point in the Canadian forces as far as like budget was concerned, but operational deployments were very limited, all that type of stuff. So eventually, even though I love the military, more than I expected I would it was always a stepping stone for policing for me, and then eventually I would be at a crossroad where I had to select where I was going to go and mm-hmm. I stuck to the original plan, which was policing so in two thousand or two thousand and one i went I went into training and then seven years into my service, I you know sort of or actually less than that three and a half years into my service, I got to my first tactical unit um, full time as a covert unit and then I went. 12 years on what we call here the um, lower mainland emergency response Mm -hmm. team, which is a large scale, full-time, very active uh, SWAT team, essentially for Americans, American Mm -hmm. listeners. And uh, I spent 12 years on the team, seven years as a team leader before I left for the commanding officer's office as the, as the sort of chief warrant officer for British Columbia. And so those things were all in line. If you, if you look at it, like the, the, Sort of the leadership exposure and development that I was honored to receive during my time on the team and through, you know, thousands of operations and all this good stuff, all the things, all the kinks I was able to sort of shake off and, 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 you know, really uh, crossed over very meaningfully in the in in my job with the commanding officer in having the ability to continue to lead you know in in, in the way that I was and you're absolutely correct about the emotional intelligence piece that is that in conscientiousness there's there's really nothing that's more important for leaders and when we're talking leaders I'm talking inspirational leaders i don't care if somebody's a designated leader but What I care about is people that are inspirational leaders, you know, the types of leaders that not only you want to work for, you want to be, Mm -hmm. you know, you, you, and, 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 and I think that that was always sort of my own personal mission statement. And I was, I was willing to stop at nothing to, to conquer, to materialize that through my actions, not just some miraculous, you know, leadership wand that's being, you know, thing kind of. So that's kind of my that's kind of my journey with the policing uh, the policing piece.
0: That's huge. I love that. Um, You know, I I get curious a lot of times. You know, I had a really uh, difficult and mostly lacking relationship with my dad, and so you know, part of this project, like I found myself speaking with, uh, you know, partially on purpose and partially by accident. Like, there's been a lot of people that have been on the show that had their own uh, struggles with you know their lack of fatherhood or strong male role models, and I think that there is a there is a common thread in a lot of us uh coming into service because of that um but uh yeah i i i want to focus in on that that quote you know from your mom like those are the guys who aren't scared and then you're like yeah i want to i want to <laughs> be that cuz you know for my own self uh you know i can recognize in hindsight what brought me to policing right there's there's not that early you know childhood interest or anything like that but ultimately when i say when people ask me what brought me in is wanting to serve or wanting to be some part of something bigger or stand up for the little guy. And I realized that, you know, I'm the little guy or, you know, you know, <laughs> I, you know, I was scared and I was, there's so many things that, you know, we're afraid of. And then I think that for a lot of people that come into military and first responder world and life is that it's okay to be afraid and I'm going to work on it and I'm going to give myself some tools that I can help myself and others. And, uh, and, be part of the reason why people don't need to be afraid
1: yeah man i i couldn't agree more i i couldn't agree more with you and and one of the best ways to do that is to 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 make sure and to ensure that you are multidimensional and all that, you know, and that includes your physicality, your intellectuality, your, your relationships, your social life, your, you know, all of those things have to be in perfect sort of, it doesn't have to be perfect, but it has to be in good balance. Right?
0: Mm-hmm. All right. So let me ask you, um, after clearly a very successful military and then under law enforcement career, you're active on, uh, an elite full-time team for quite some time and then you got into the the upper stratosphere with promotion and and organizational leadership. Um, What prompted and led you to transitioning out of law enforcement?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. I just generally like to explore and adventure in life. And I just the prospect of being in the same place for, say, 30 years um, isn't super exciting prospect to me. And I and I can appreciate the loyalty of it and I can appreciate, you know, but I believe that how long your contribution, your contribution to the cause is, is pretty irrelevant. If the intensity level is kept so high, Yeah, you have people that are around for 40 years, but you know, for 40 years, they've, they've been, you know, sort of complaining about everything for 39 years. Whereas you may have somebody that decides to do a stint of five years in policing and for five years, they're all in, you know? And so for me, I was, uh, you know, between the military and the police, I was, combining 23 years of service 20 20 years in policing and i just kind of looked back and my options were to go back to the team which was something that i favored on account of i joined the organization to be a part of it, of of that team and so for mm-hmm. me to to do anything else would and and i really did not have an interest in uh, i wasn't going to do that because now i'm bringing my sort of lack of interest to a, a new problem and and try to obviously professionally Uh, action against that problem. But if, if in the, in the sort of bottom of my heart, this isn't something that I really want to do now, I'm doing a disservice to the people that are putting a lot of hard time to try to make certain things happen in, in, you know, in the new new section, a new unit or new role or whatever that is. And so I was never going to do that just in all fairness to everybody that engages in the process and so when the prospect of going back to the team came around and i started realizing that i was building up anxiety those types of things which is something that i don't i'm not afflicted with on the on the regular you know Mm -hmm. in a normal amount but not not abnormally um you know i i started asking questions like why why are you why are you worried about this? And and I think I was more in love with the idea of going back as an operator that I was about the job that I was going to embark on, which was being the team leader for the team leaders, which would bring me to full obsessive mode again, right? I wouldn't really Mm. have a choice. And for the two years in the commanding officer's office, I finally had struck some balance between work and life. And I just realized that I didn't want to go back on call and I didn't want to get pulled out of every function with my kids and I didn't want to, you know, I, and so I, so I looked back and I said, okay, so now what are you staying in policing or are you trying some different? And I just went the route of wanting to try something different. And I thought to myself, like, look, what's the worst that happens? You know, and and the reality you can always is, go
0: back if it, if you hate it, you can always go back, right?
1: Hundred percent. You can yeah. go back on decisions. You can you can do certain things. You can go for other organizations if you feel so inclined. You mm-hmm. know, if if there was if there's nothing left there in your in your own organization, there's there's all kinds of other options. But yeah. And, uh, you know, it's been two years now and I have absolutely zero regret. I mean, yes, the stress of, you know, not getting that regular paycheck dropped in your account, no matter what is, is a, is real, but it's also the reality of 90% of people in the workforce. Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> so the stability
0: so, afforded by the government, there's not very much that can even compare.
1: Agreed. And so. I think it I think it's important to recognize but at the same time for me it was all about is this something that you're still loving is this something that you still want to engage full time in and because of the cost of policing it's important to be fully invested because if you're not you know you're taking some, some serious hits on mm-hmm. on 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 a subsystem that's not necessarily you know wired for it unless you have that purpose driven attitude in relation to policing you know
0: yeah and we see that a lot, right? We see people that are resigned to whatever position, right at the officer level, at the upper uh, administrative level, where people are checked out, where people are just waiting on the paycheck on retirement, and then how much it bogs us all down, right? So you know a takeaway for me listening to that is clearly you're a perpetual learner, you're a perpetual experiencer, and so in in the curious way that you approach life is to say, hey, as at least i'm perceiving this is that you know what the track looks like if you do a full career but to maintain the level of intensity and uh curiosity and growth you recognize that it was probably time to leave um and i love that because i don't know how many conversations at the time uh that people hear this they'll know that uh i've i've received my official promotion um which kicks in a few days from now as far as like you and i talking and so a lot of that dynamic, though, you know, even from people that you know I respect and you know peers or otherwise, they would ask, "Don't you feel like you're promoting too early?" Right, and that was a literal thing I remember hearing through my whole career was, "You don't want to promote too early because then you get stuck," and that's such a again that we're going back to fixed mindset, right? Whereas growth mindset would going off my own prerogatives and my interest is that I know I can grow and challenge myself a lot with this promotion and if it makes me stuck at an upper level, I I can always pivot somewhere else, right? Um, Maybe I didn't imagine promoting beyond commander at my organization, but maybe that's different in, you know, five years, I might feel dramatically different where I might promote past that or who knows what could happen in life. Right. So I'm trying to uh, uh, be a little bit more in that. uh, It's okay to have some unknowns. It's actually great to have some unknowns as long as you're driving towards a purpose and, uh, and your values are lining that and, uh, and, fueling that then i'm I, you know i am a, a a planner but uh it takes me out of that more anxious unknown uh state it's more like an excited unknown state
1: yeah you're you're straight into exploration which is the only way to fix anxiety really you know and and it's uh congrats on the promotion by the way thank you man and um and uh yeah it's and it, what's really interesting with the pro- Promotional process, or even with promotions in general is is you will often hear people that are constant complainers complain about leadership and but what you'll never hear them say is how they intend to be the leaders they would like to see. Mm. So generally what happens is the same person that complains all the time is the same person that uses the fact that the system is broken to not want to promote in those positions, not realizing that along the way, you can do a lot of buffering between whatever it is that organizationally you feel is wrong and, and the rank and file by being that person that has a sphere of influence that can be created. And at the end of the day, for the members on the road doing the work their leader their direct leader is the organization like there isn't you know a million other steps after that and so i think that having the ability to recognize that you can't be complaining about everything without doing anything about it and you can't be complaining that there's no wellness mechanism in place for the constant trauma and abuse that you're subjected to only to turn your back in the in the in the patrol office and have a conversation about somebody that's sick yet again and, and have, you know, and, and really go against what you are claiming you want, because that's exactly what happens is like the culture eats itself, you know, for sure. And, and, and then once we eat ourselves, we don't take any ownership of it. And what we do is we project whatever it is that the behaviors are bringing to bear to upper management or to, you know, people in position of leadership or to the organizations or to the government or whatever the case may be.
0: Mm-hmm. And so,
1: again, it's a perfect way to not contribute to the solution, contribute to the problem and walk away, you know. And so it, it really doesn't do anything. It's very counterproductive. It's very caustic. It's very toxic. And it and it makes everybody's life miserable. Imagine if you, as a person and as a leader, could be responsible for 12 people going to work, happy well that 12 people that 12 people happiness reverberates with the people that they love with their families with their kids and it goes on because the wife now had a great you know conversation with you last night and now she's not going to teach at school and 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 offload on the students that are mm-hmm. now you know and so what we do has is impactful, a lot more impactful. And the fact that we cannot quantify specifically the impact that we have does not negate the impact that we have. And that's something that I think we need to understand as cops. When you're having, when you're addressing life in a certain way, you're injecting poison in everybody else's life, you know? And, and, and I mean this respectfully, and it's important to understand that. But uh, yeah, it's, it's the propensity to do that in the, in the law enforcement Realm is is quite elevated, and it has to do with building cynicism on account of you know we're dealing a hundred percent of the time with the one percenters, Mm -hmm. and so you get to think that the world is a hundred percent wrong, not realizing that you've been dealing you know with a very very small margin, but you've been doing it full time, you know, which is the reason why your 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 lens is your lens is so tinted, right?
0: Yeah, and that's where I I love the aspect of culture and how everyone, right? We talk about leadership at every level everyone can affect the culture and so if we recognize these things yes we recognize that we're dealing with a lot of the unsavory aspects of society uh, but we have our own systems whether it's uh, whether it is actually written out or whether it is just uh, something that is a you know cultural uh, dynamic where you are supporting each other and you feel committed in that and you feel like you're not you're not alone and you are valued from your leadership, from your peers, um, then you can overcome a lot, right? Then you don't you don't feel like you're always under attack. And so it's a lot of times I think that is the low hanging fruit, although it can take a lot of it could take a lot of intensity to start moving that momentum or start building that momentum, especially depending on where your organization and where your people are at the time.
1: Yeah, for sure. And again, it's it it, it kind of comes down to Are those things that are directly into your, in your control, or are those things that you may potentially have some level of influence over, you invest a little bit less. And if you have zero influence over it, and there is no foreseeable way in which you can achieve that, then I don't sweat it. Right. And so, you know, what the queen does with the color of the uniform is completely irrelevant to me. I have no, you know, I have, there's nothing I can do about that unless I'm being tapped on the shoulder to provide some input but and even if I was to volunteer the input what is that going to do right mm-hmm. and so it's important to understand that yeah I could do that but I have a limited amount of bandwidth and that bandwidth has to be used to make life bearable for most people in my direct sphere of influence and so I really always brought that back to me what can I do right now and and by doing that you're optimizing the way you're conducting business and you're optimizing the people, the, the way the people work for you are, are, are conducting business. And it goes, it as we mentioned earlier, it, it far exceeds just the business side. But those things are constant work in, pro- in progress. It's a constant push forward. It's a constant wanting to be better. It's a constant wanting to continue to learn and realizing that no matter how successful you've been so far, some of those some of the things that you've been successful on, you've been successful on on account of luck or other factors, you know that mm-hmm. are that are necessarily not uh, sort of uh, replicatable. And if you are to patternize them so that you may teach them to other people in the in the in, on account of succession planning, you need to have the ability to recognize what those patterns are, so that you're able to proliferate them and pass them on.
0: Yeah. That's huge. It's everything, right? It is luck. It is preparation. It's uh, where all that uh, what what is it? What preparation meets opportunity, or something to that effect. Uh, Seb, what is it that drives you? You know, as you, you know, we've learned about your journey. You're only part way through, and certainly you have a lot of irons and a lot of fires, and you'll be crafting a lot of metal work with all those irons. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, what what is it that that uh, pushes you and, and inspires you to inspire others?
1: Yeah, I just I just feel like there is there is a there is a a void there. There is a void and and the void is creating serious issues to a lot of people. And and, and those people, I think, you know, will go through life and who knows how long it's going to take them to come to certain realization. And and my goal is is not to change the world, but my goal is to provide so sort of some of my viewpoints and experiences and bring them to bear so that people can look at them and start questioning and it's more of a constructivistic approach so to speak you know where where I'm bringing all these things in and and you definitely don't have to agree with all of those things and you definitely don't have to agree in the way I necessarily view things but but did you start looking internally on account of you know hearing what I what it is that I had to say. And so for me, it's all about having the conversations and it. And it's about having honest conversations because we're, we're, we're throwing a lot of, you know, distractions and things and, and disco balls or whatever, but like, we're not having the tough conversations. So before we worry about having a wellness initiative that brings, you know, outside sources to do regular training that costs money. And we, you know, you start going down this, this thing. How about, what are we doing in the, in the, in the patrol room? Let's start here. What are we Mm -hmm. doing in the patrol room? Okay. I've seen A, B, C, and D here. All those things are contributing to affecting the wellness of others and yours. Right. And so let's fix that. And then let's move this up now to another level here. And what can we, what can we own here and what can we fix here and what, how can we be a part of the solution as opposed to a part of the problem? I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of people that look at policing like somehow it's, it, you know, it's, it's always going to be this and it's always going to be that. And, it's, it, and for me, I look back at my career and I had an absolutely incredible career. Incredible. And I've had people say to me before, well, you know, us in the organization. And I mean, what do you mean us? You know, people of visible minority just the way I was, you know, and, and, and I'm like, no, actually, I don't because it's never interfered with my career, mm-hmm. ever you know, and I'm not suggesting it's not happening. I'm not suggesting there isn't racism and I'm not suggesting there isn't things, but I was never a victim. Even if I was to be victimized by someone, I was not a victim Mm. in my actions and in my attitude. And so for me, it was like, whatever, man, water under the bridge, let's go, you know, what's next. And, uh, and I think a lot of people are investing a lot of their own emotions in the context of their, the application of the the, the stuff that they do on the daily in the context of policing. So emotions are good, acknowledge them and move on. Mm. You know, like if you, if you're, yeah. if you're, if they're the, if they're the angular stone of how you react to life, like I got some news for you, you're always going to be in the black or the white. It's there's, there, there's very little room for gray when you're reacting to every emotion that goes through you, you
0: know? Yeah. I love that for so many reasons. I I think it's a good way to kind of, you know, summarize a lot of the things we're talking about because in the things that you you share in your lessons and the concepts, I hear a lot of stoicism. I hear a lot of uh, approaching things with a practical nature. Hey, emotions aren't (laughs) bad. They are are there. Acknowledge them. Sometimes they can be useful and other times they, they can slow you down, right? And a lot of your conversations about bandwidth—that's something that I think about all the time, right? Because everything takes energy. We have limited time. We have limited energy. We have limited resource. So let's let's reflect on that and let's use it very, very wisely, and not not waste it, and not uh, burden ourselves with the petty uh, inconveniences and negativity that that plagues uh, plagues our world and our communities. So you know, I appreciate all that, and I think that it all those all those notions, uh, everything that you've shared with us in this session, uh, are very much in the, in the vein of how do you stay, uh, progressing forward? How do you stay challenging yourself and uplifting others? Um, and just really making, making, uh, like you said, you're, you're being constructive and you're being positive and, uh, keep going from there.
1: Yep. Yeah, no, absolutely, man. And it sounds like you're on the exact same mission. So we're <laughs>
0: I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm, I'm very fortunate, <laughs> truly grateful to have uh, examples like yourself, uh, Sean and Chance, just to name a few. Um, and uh, I do think it's funny that he, he also brought up a uh, disco ball on his, <laughs> on his interview too. So there's definitely some connections there. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, I really want to thank you so much for your time sharing with me and the audience. Where can folks find you? And of course, you know, the information in your bio will be in the show notes as well
1: amazing yeah my my personal instagram is probably the best way to find me and that's good and bad news for everybody around me but but it is it is one way to get a hold of me now professionally speaking my 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 uh, business account is www.ravenstrategic.com and that's my business for any business inquiries and it goes straight to my email and i will be dealing with this then but if you prefer to reach me on instagram i'm sure you'll link the account Mm is my slav ccmdr and that is it aside from that if there's any further linking up needed i can provide phone numbers and do all this good stuff but i uh, certainly will stay away from the air with that
0: yeah absolutely (laughs) uh where's the ig handle come from
1: uh it's actually so my nickname on the team was cobra commander and my it's my initials s -S 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 so s-l-a-v and then cobra commander so it was, just, it was just an amalgamation of reality and fiction. <laughs> I love that.
0: That's what a perfect way to end. Uh, thank you again, man. And uh, we'll be talking soon, I'm sure.
1: Awesome. Thanks for having me, brother. You have interest outside of the field of policing, and you have, you're capable of conversing on other topics.